morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 6. And again, if you're headed that way and you happen to stop in Romans 15, that's okay. Verses 5 and 6 are kind of the heart behind this whole series, leadership, servanthood. Um, if you go from Romans 12 to Romans 15, there is there well, there are two words that are kind of the golden thread that just weaves in and out through those three chapters. The words, one another. It's how we interact with one another. Paul is talking in Ephesians 6, he's in Ephesians 5, he is directly communicating to believers who are interacting with believers. And so when we get to Romans 15, 5, and 6, he writes, he says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I I said this last week, I'll say it again. Being of one mind is not all that hard for a group of people. In fact, that's one reason we're together as a church. We have similar of a singular mind doctrinal beliefs. Most of us agree on those things. And we come to church each week. We worship. we, We sing the same songs. We learn. We encourage each other. We build one another up. That's, those are things you do when you want to be in one accord. If you remember, one accord means to be in the, same, uh, in the same passion about something, that we are chasing and pursuing the same goal. And that was what Paul wanted for the church. Now, when we come together, that one passion is not to have some mystical or magical experience, but to have an encounter with God that revives us if only reviving us for a little while until we get together again and and do it again the next Sunday or the Wednesday night or when we come together as Christians in fellowship outside the church. Now when we're doing this, as we're planning for the evangelist to come, we hope it sparks a revival within us. Like I said, we want to get the embers burning. I spoke to Randy earlier this week, and i got to tell you, it was an awesome, awesome conversation. He he, he asked me, he said, what did you preach on yesterday? And this was on Monday, we were talking, and I said, well, or maybe it was Tuesday, whatever. I ta- what did you preach on the previous Sunday? And I told him, I said, well, you know, I'm doing a series on leadership and servanthood. And I said, man, I just felt like to do this, this series, I, it's my prayer that I'm, I'm laying the tracks for the train that's going to come through. I don't know what that popping is. I've messed with my microphone, so I apologize. Anyway. I said, I just want to lay the tracks for what for the train that's coming through. And he said, Jeff, I got to tell you something. I talked to him about the, the response we'd already gotten from the service. You know, in, in fact, uh, Jennifer had somebody call, him, call her up and say, uh, my husband listened to the message that you guys had on Sunday, and it must have did something. He came to me and apologized for the way he's been a husband. And it was just, oh, okay. You know, that, that was really incredible. And so I shared that with him, and he so, so he said, Jeff, let me tell you about the message that, that God's put on my heart for your church. And he said, I've already started talking about it. And he gives me the, this, some things, and I said, Randy, let me now read to you some of the things that I've already written down for the next few weeks. Let me, let me tell you what, what I'm talking about this Sunday. And I'm, today we're talking about leadership and servanthood with kids. And so I told him, what my thesis statement, or what we call the thesis statement in sermon preparation, what that was. And, and I told him some things I'd written down for next week, and the next week, and the next week. He said, that's already in my message. He said, we're, we're, ta- we're on the same page. He said, I'm getting goosebumps, man. He said, this is, this is the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, I, I hope it is, because if it's just you and me, we're going to fail. And so it's, it's just awesome how God is lining those things up. And and like I said, we're doing this whole series was we're, we're looking at God's design for his church, the formula for leadership, servanthood, submission is another word that gets thrown around, and how, how that is to operate within the Christian home, the Christian life, the Christian workplace, the, the Christian church. And last week, like I said, we began by looking at marriage. You know, marriage is where human society began. Uh, as God, after creating the man, Adam, he gave him a helper, Eve, his wife. Now, this isn't in my notes. This is something I begin to think about this morning. You realize that marriage is 
is uh, when God created man, he was undoing a bit of his creation. He took the rib and took and separated his creation. And in marriage, he's bringing it back together when the two become one flesh. So what we are doing when we, when we love our wives and when we respect our husbands and we have that marriage dynamic, we are getting to God's plan, his original design for us, that we are one flesh and one agreement, one accord. And from that marriage, Adam and Eve, God allows all of humanity to sprout. In fact, that's why Adam names her Eve. It's because she was the mother of all the living. But Adam and Eve, what did they do? What was one of the first things that's documented they do after the, after the fall, after they leave the garden? They have kids, right? They start a family. And so, so today we are going to look within the home and we hope to have, as, as we hope to have a church that is in one accord, we have to first have homes that are in one accord. If we want a, a home that's in one accord, it begins with having a marriage that's in one accord. Amen? So we begin reading here in Ephesians 6, verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Everybody look at your kid and read that with me again, okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, kids... Read this with me. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So all the kids look at your mom and dad and say, don't make me angry. Right? Okay. You heard it. That's, I don't know whose kid that was. I said last week I don't like the word hierarchy because over the years it's been abused, but that's really the best word to use if we understand this, a formula for leadership within our home. A married couple, a husband who's loving his wife, a wife who is respecting her husband may soon have children, right? And God gives us a formula within our text for the proper way to lead and serve within a believing household. Again, God's formula for leadership and servanthood in the home is very simple. And if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Children who are raised in an environment of honor grow up honoring the Lord. I'm about ready to trade this microphone in for something else. See what happens. Sorry about that. Now, we are all no doubt very familiar with the Bible verse that says, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Everybody's heard that, right? It's, it's almost cultural at that point. But how do we do that? How does Scripture tell us to honor that and, and make that happen? You know, I don't know who said it first. I believe it might have been uh, a 1980s sitcom, but children don't come with instruction manuals, right? Yes, they do. Right here. The Word of God. Very clear. Paul outlines in his letter to the Ephesians, if nowhere else in Scripture, and by the way, it's all over Scripture, and I'll show that to you today, that if, if we remember that we are to raise up our children in Christ, it has to be a home that has, is structured around Christ, that honors Christ. Paul outlines it here in this letter, and, and like I said, we have to remember he is writing to Christians about dealing with Christians so there's this understanding that all who are hearing this are believers. But while we might assume that every parent is a Bible-believing, Christian, Christ-centered individual, we know that's not always the case, right? There will be some exceptions to the rule, and we'll get into that as we go this morning. But why does Paul bother to address children within the home, especially Christian children? After all, if we if we read them the Word of God once a week, if we take them to church and make sure they're involved in youth group and things like that, by osmosis almost, we can guarantee they're going to be children who grow up to be men and women of God, right? That's actually part of the process. You see, one thing we have to remember, especially as we go forward the next few weeks, is in our lives, the church only gets you for about one out of 168 hours a week. 
The influence that the church has over your child is only about one and one sixty-eighth. That's why it's important that we develop an environment of our, in our home that honors Christ. That we have these God conversations, these Jesus talks with our kids as often as we can. You know, people talk about what they learn in school. You, you realize they only are at school for about six, seven hours a day. You get them the rest of the time. And so, yeah, they're, they're sleeping for some of those things. But it's important that we create a Christian influence within the home, a Christian structure within the home. You get the point. That we must all our homes be centered on God's word, led by the Holy Spirit in accordance with his word, and seeking as parents to lead our children to Christ if we ever expect them to know Christ themselves, much less lead other people to him. It's said about Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday is one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. He was famous during the Prohibition era, former Major League Baseball player, became an evangelist. He had a powerful, powerful ministry. And yet when he died, it's said that all three of his children had rejected Christ. My point in saying that is it doesn't matter if you're a good pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a good preacher. It doesn't mean if you're a theologian or missionary. It does not matter if we fail in our homes with our own children. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, in that context, Paul is specifically referring to financials. He's talking about if you don't take care of, provide for your own family. But I think Paul would agree that if you can provide Jesus to other people and talk about Jesus with other adults, but you can't talk about him with your own children, you've got a real problem on your hands. So it's amazing to me how many parents make time to take their kids to the theater, to sporting events, and all these other extracurricular activities, but they don't make time to talk about the Bible. They don't make time to talk about Jesus or take them to church or things like that. They'll sit at home and they'll argue Vikings versus Packers all day and twins versus the world all night, but they won't talk about anything in their Bible. And you may sit at home and you may be watching, well, Pastor Jeff, of course you're passionate about this. Of course you care about this. You're kind of looking after your own business. You're a pastor. Absolutely, and hear me on this, wrong. Okay? I don't care about this because I'm a preacher or a pastor. I care about this because I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm a follower of Jesus Christ long before I'm a preacher or pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ before I'm even a dad. But because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who is a dad, I want my kids to know first and foremost above all things, Jesus loves them. And they need to love him back. And I hope you can say the same thing. I love my kids. In fact, if I could, if it were possible, if somebody ever said, Pastor Jeff, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to give you this lotto ticket. It is $400 million and you'll never have to work or do another thing in your life. I would love to cash that in and spend the rest of my time with my kids. But if I I spend all eternity with Jesus and my kids don't make it, it's not even worth anything. So we trust God and We can talk about the lotto thing later. Okay, that was just an example. Hypothetic. Everybody's sitting there saying, pastor's endorsing gambling. Calm down. Okay, it's just, it was just a statement. It was just an analogy. But we have to trust God's formula for our homes. And if we raise our children in an environment that honors him, they will grow up to honor him. Ephesians 6.1 again, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, as we, as we dive into the text, much like last week, we have to remember, much like last week, this is a minefield, right? Moms have, have read all the parenting books. Dads, we have been given parenting advice from our dads and everybody we know since we were old enough to have kids, right? We always love, by the way, parents, you can, you can back me on this. We absolutely love it when our friends who have no kids give us advice on how to raise our kids. That's so loving and caring, and we really wish you'd keep that up because someday you're going to have kids, and we get to give it back, right? Everybody said amen. 
We also love it when people who are still raising their kids like to tell those of us who have raised our kids and done a pretty good job all about it. Pastor stepping on his own toes this morning, okay, because I still have three small children at home. But it's not the preacher's opinion that we come here for this morning. We want the Word of God, and the Word of God says, children, obey your parents, and the Lord for this is right. This is not something new in Scripture. In fact, Paul is likely pulling very much. We know he's pulling from the the Ten Commandments at one point, but also verses like Proverbs 6.20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Later in Proverbs 23.22, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she's old. Kids, begot is a fun King James era word. It basically means mom and dad brought you into this world and they can take you out. Okay? The kids aren't Some of them are paying attention. That's okay. Children, by the way, in this setting, in this passage, could very well be anyone of any age whose parents are still alive. But it seems like in the context, while that may be true, it's very specifically talking for children who are still maturing, still being raised within their home. Now, it is true that in this era, children would often reside under their father's authority until he passed. But Paul is is really just giving direction for those who are still maturing, those who are still growing, and we're definitely going to see that when we get to verse 4. The Greek word Paul uses for parent, by the way, is is very important. It's the word gones, for those of you taking notes this morning and under the age of 12. Gones is a father and mother who produce, nurture, and raise a child, typically together. Paul understood that we don't get to choose who our parents are. If you're coming to Wednesday night Bible study, we're going to talk about predestination and Paul's understanding of predestination. And one of the things he makes very clear in Ephesians 1 is we don't choose who our parents are. We don't choose where we're born. And so when he says children, he means anyone who has a parent, obey your parents. But he's going to zero in as he goes, talking about those who are being raised in the home. It's very similar to in Colossians 3 when he writes, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. That word obedient, by the way, is the same word he uses here in chapter 6. It's the word hypoquete, and it means to listen to them and do what they say. How many of the kids just go, ugh? It infers absolute obedience. This is stronger wording than Paul used last week when he said, Wives, submit to your husbands. Here, it's obey your mom and dad. Okay, it's, it's a stronger wording. Paul understands that even in the Greco-Roman culture he's writing to, that parents are not always good at parenting, by the way. Sometimes parents are unbelievers. And while in Ephesus he's, he's writing primarily to Christian households, he adds in a very special stipulation here. He says, in the Lord. In other words, in the home or out of the home, in the family dynamic, the child is to be under willing authority of their parents. All the kids say, willingly. They're not paying attention this morning. They willingly. Okay, what's that mean? That means we want to, right? We want to listen to our mom and dad. We will to listen. You will listen to mom and dad, Izzy. You will listen to mom and dad, right? She's nodding her head. She wants ice cream after church. That's Children, Paul is saying, should obey their parents as if they are obeying God himself. Now hear me on that. That does not make the parents God. That does not elevate mom and dad to the supreme authority. But it is a reflection of the child's willingness to serve the Lord. So in other words, kids, and they're all sitting on this side today, so if you feel left out this morning, that's, that's okay. But kids, if mom and dad tell you to clean your room, that means clean your room as if you're cleaning it Because even Jesus would want you to clean your room. Okay? Because he can't walk through that mess either. No, I'm going to leave that alone. Paul infers this in his letter to the Romans when he 
beginning to discuss governmental authority, he says this to the Christian. He says, Every person is to be in subjection to the, governmenting, or the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now the question then comes up, well, what if mom and dad are not good authority figures? What if they're asking us to do things that are sinful, things that are wrong? Well, we would respond in the same way the apostles did when the authorities over them told them to stop preaching Christ, when they, when they told them to sin. You see, we understand that we are to respect human leadership until their leadership begins to contradict the leadership of God himself. When Peter and John, for example, in Acts chapter 5, when they are told to stop talking about Jesus, they say, Peter and the apostles answer them, we must obey God rather than men. Now, it's not a sin to clean your room. It's not a sin to turn off the TV. And it's not gluttony because you have to eat all your peas, okay? But there is a loophole. Kids love to find loopholes. In fact, God's children have been trying to find loopholes in this book since it was canonized and written down for us, right? We like to look for loopholes. And I'll give you a loophole, children. Don't try and copy this because it didn't work for me. I promise it won't work for you. But as a kid, here was the thing. I didn't like cleaning my room. You can tell that because I keep going back to that. And I found a loophole. I thought, if I read my Bible, mom and dad can't be mad at me. In fact, if they tell me to stop reading my Bible, they're telling me to disobey God, right? Because he wants us to read Scripture. So I would start reading my Bible. And when my mom said, Jeffrey, I told you to clean your room. You need to feed the dog, take out the trash, whatever. I can't, mom. I'm, I'm in the book of James today. Do you think it worked for very long? No, it did not. You can read your Bible when the room is clean and the trash has been taken out. Using God as an excuse to get out of chores is a really bad idea. All right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He does not say, use the Lord as an excuse to not obey your parents. All right? And the, the verse ends with the words, for this is right. Now he's pulling this. Paul is alluding to Hosea here. Hosea 14.9 says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. In other words, children, if you are smart about this, you're going to pick this up. Whoever is discerning, whoever knows what's right from wrong, kids, if you know what's right from wrong, you're going to get this. The ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but the transgressors will stumble in them. In other words, the, the transgressors, the sinner, the the people who don't want what's right, they are going to look for the loopholes and not obey their parents. So if kids want to do what's right, what's honoring God, Paul says they should obey their parents. Unless our parents are doing something that would cause us to sin. Something that will contradict what God is saying we should do. Let me try and grab a different microphone quick. Technical difficulties are great. Challenge us to be better. Okay. I'm going to use this this morning. You want to unmute that? Okay. Now, for example, can you hear me now? We're good? Okay. For example, if dad tries to get you to say bad words, because dads can be a bad influence sometimes, uh, mom wants you to help her steal something from the store. Just put this in your coat pocket. Don't say anything, right? Those are bad things. Those are things that are contradicting God's law. So if mom and dad try to get you to sin, it's okay to say no. Now, if you believe it's a sin and mom and dad say it's not, you need to have a discussion about why there's a disagreement. But before we move on, we have to realize something else that's taking place here within this text. Kids need to understand this. In the Roman world, children were not addressed in household codes. Children were not subject to letters they weren't called out in instruction like this their obedience to what's being said was just assumed but this is what paul is doing in this letter this is what he's saying as he's speaking to the children he is making this very clear that children are responsible members of the church they are a valued part of the congregation it's if they are old enough to understand, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, then they are old enough to be held accountable for their actions. 
You know, I think it's awesome whenever we dismiss our kids to kids' church and we hear them thump, 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 thump down the stairs and it sounds like thunder. I look out at our congregation and, and there's always a smile. We just always, it brings joy to so many hearts because we understand this. We get this. Kids are a valued part of our church. We believe in kids' ministry. We want to raise our kids up in this church. But Paul is saying to the to the. Ephesian church, he's saying they're old enough at this point to make a commitment to the Lord. They're old enough to obey Him. They're old enough to be discipled and instructed in His ways. For this is right indicates they know right from wrong. So if they get this, if they grasp this, they are old enough to accept the truth of Christ. And if they're raised in a home that centers on this and drives this home to them in an environment of honor, a home that honors the Lord, they're going to grow up to honor Him too. We go on to verse 2. It says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now we know Paul is quoting the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments here, Exodus twenty twelve. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. That's the promise. That, that last part, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Paul tweaks that a little bit. We'll see that as we go. The idea of honoring and obeying your parents are very similar. And when we look at the fifth commandment, when we try to understand that, we seek to understand it, we see something Paul is doing here, or the Holy Spirit is doing through Paul. He is doing something brilliant He's bringing unity within the home through leadership and servanthood. He has established a hierarchy in that commandment. Now the word honor in the Old Testament is the same as it is here in Ephesians. It's meant to show respect to someone not because of who they are, but because of their role, their position within the home. It's the Hebrew word kavod. It literally means to weigh heavily upon Uh, To weigh heavily upon them. In other words, their words, their actions are to weigh heavy upon their children. We would use the English word, like I said, respect. When we respect someone, we don't just take what they say for granted that they said it. We listen to it, we honor it, and we trust it enough to obey it. When we honor someone, it does not mean that we're a robot for them to command or a doormat for them to walk over. It, means we are, it doesn't mean we're allowing them to be abusive or manipulative or anything like that. But we are to be subject to them, allowing and aiding them to fulfill their God-given roles in our lives. Now, this passage, honestly, since Moses got it, has probably been used to abuse or, or manipulate children for, for centuries now. But as we see in verse 4, the children, we want our children to honor their parents. Parents have to create that environment of honor. Now how do we do that? We look back at Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Dads, the holiest, most righteous thing you can do for your children is love their mother. Moms, the holiest, purest, most loving thing you can do for your children is respect their father. Grandmas and grandpas, the same thing goes for you. But if you want your grandkids to honor their parents, don't undermine their parents. Because now you get to spoil your grandkids doesn't mean you get to invalidate mom and dad. Okay? Help them learn to respect their parents by respecting them yourself. Create a culture of honor within the home and and raise up children who will honor authority, God-ordained authority the rest of their lives. Our text actually ties back to last week quite easily. When children see mom honoring their dad, dad becomes a man worth honoring in the home. And dads, I'm going to quote 1 Peter 3, 7 here. If you're living with your wife in an understanding way, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, your children will treat mom as a co-heir of grace. They will respect her and they will treat her with love as well. You know, so many times I hear people say, I don't understand why my kid doesn't respect my wife. Or I don't understand why my, my son just doesn't really care for anything as mom did. They used to be so close. It's because over the years they have seen you disrespect that spouse so much that they've lost respect for them. 
And that's the, that's the formula that you've created in your home, and it's time to bring healing to that. Young men will grow up to be men who honor their wives if we follow this. And young women will be women who are subject to their husbands in a biblical way if it's modeled for them within the home. Paul continues, he says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now he's continuing from the Ten Commandments here, but what does it say? So that it may be well with you. What he's saying is so that your life is on the right path. Often in Proverbs, we hear these words over and over again in Proverbs, actually. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. My son, if you will receive... This is Proverbs 1.8, Proverbs 2.1, I'll go like this. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, good stuff follows. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, and good stuff follows. Uh, my son, do not forget my... Oh, I said that one already. Hear, O sons, the instructions of a father and give attention that you may understanding and good stuff follows. I said this last week. Men, if you want a Proverbs 31 wife, you have to be a Proverbs 1 through 30 man. And that means instructing our children in the, in the things that are right, keeping them on the right path. And I'd add this today. Parents, if you want a biblical marriage, a good life, teach your children instruction of the word of the Lord. The Father's instructions, His commands, His teaching. Let's be real. Your daughter may be a world champion at something someday. Your son may make it to the major leagues, be a professional athlete. But if they don't make it to eternity with Christ, you have failed them. I have failed them. As a church, we have failed them. Amen? Kids, if you want a long life filled with good things, and I don't mean ice cream and cake or anything like that, I mean a good, solid life, it starts with honoring your parents. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Now, as an aside, everybody here pretty much knows this. If you're watching online and this is news to you, okay. But I've spent six and a half years working with juvenile criminals. And I can tell you, most of them were young men few things I learned from that, and the statistics actually back this up, so you don't have to take my word for it. You can go home and Google it if you want. But young men who do not have a father are more prone to a life as a criminal. The statistics back it. Young men who lack discipline, who are allowed to hit their mothers, will grow up to be men who beat their wives. Men who are not taught to honor women will treat women as if they are things to be used and throw them aside whenever they're done with them. And young women who are not shown what a loving husband looks like from their dad will shack up with any man who treats them good sometimes. Young women who are not shown how to respect their husbands by their mothers will have broken hearts and broken homes throughout their life. And again, you can, you can look up the statistics on that. They back it up if you don't want to believe me on that. But this is why it's imperative that we as Christians understand how the home is to operate in biblical boldness. That we build a culture of honor within our homes. When husbands love their wives and wives respect their husbands, it sets a model for our children to follow. I said this earlier, you have more influence in the home than the church will ever hope to have. You have more influence in your home than the school could ever hope to have. You have them more than anybody else. And so when you're setting that example for them, you're teaching them better than any teacher, any preacher, any pastor, any coach, any stranger they're going to see on TV could ever hope to do. First and foremost, the parent is the greatest role model a child will ever have. In fact, back in the 1990s, there was this guy, he was the bad boy of basketball, Charles Barkley. And he had this Nike ad, and he said, he slams his hands on this. I remember it because I thought it was so cool. I thought, that's Charles Barkley. This is a Nike ad, not Michael Jordan for a change. I liked Charles Barkley back as a kid. And he slams his hands on the basketball, and he says, I am not a role model. And then he began to give the rest of the speech. I don't remember the rest of the speech. Nobody does. And that's all people would grab onto, and they'd say, well, he just did that ad so that so that he could just shirk the responsibility of living a moral life as an athlete. No. See, we forgot the rest of the speech. This is basically what he ends up saying. He's not a role model. He's somebody who will never touch your kid's life. He's somebody your kid will never get to know. You are. Mom and dad, step up and be the real role model. Don't pass it off on somebody else. Don't let somebody, some athlete on TV who you don't know what they do behind the scenes, don't let them be the one who raises your kid. 
That's what Paul is saying here. He says, in fact, in the Jewish culture, the Jewish man, the fifth commandment is one of the most important to them because while he's talking to children who are being raised, the command in the Jewish mindset was also that we still honor our parents. We still obey our parents as they grow. We still take care of them because they took care of us. They are our role models, and we want to set an example for our children by taking care of our parents. We want our children to take care of us. If you recall, this was a big deal in Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees were hindering the people from doing this very thing. And Jesus, also quoting the Old Testament Ten Commandments, he says, Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have, that would help you as Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus you invalidate the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you, may do, and you do many such things as this. This is a real issue in the Jewish culture. They wanted to honor their parents and they weren't being allowed to. When the honoring of parents goes out the window, well, we've seen it. We lose a nation. If we want to see a true revival in the church, it begins in the marriage. Then it follows into the home. It's if, as we lead and serve in the roles that God has given us, Children who are raised in an environment of honor grow up to honor the Lord. And finally, we get to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this was my favorite verse from ages 9 to 15. Right? Hear me on this, please. In all seriousness, do write this down. This is big. The child who is desperate for their father's approval is destined to... For a life of seeking acceptance. A child who's desperate for their father's approval is destined for a life seeking acceptance. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I'm going to share something with you, and please do not think for one second I'm the hero of this story. I'm not. But when I was a youth pastor, I had this, we had this family that had started coming to the church. And the dad's name was Kevin. And one day, out of the blue, I'm in my office. The pastor I worked for was in his office right across the hall. And Kevin shows up, and these were his words to me. Pastor Jeff, I want you to fix Chelsea. Keep that wording in mind. I want you to fix her. No pressure. Okay, what's wrong? Well, she'll tell you. So Kevin goes and sits down with Russ, my pastor at the time. And Chelsea, what's going on? I don't know. Because that's what teenagers say when they're given hard questions. I don't know. So, well, why'd your dad bring you in? She begins to talk to me. See, Chelsea came from a broken home. Kevin had a wife before the wife he was currently married to. That was Chelsea's mom. Chelsea had a younger sister. Stepmom hated Chelsea because Chelsea looked like her mom. And so Chelsea was a constant reminder that Kevin had loved someone else. And she would undermine Kevin in the home all the time. Her children didn't need to listen to Kevin, but his children were supposed to listen to her. And there, were all, there was all this chaos and turmoil, and she's telling me this, and, and she's just so angry, but she's not sad or anything. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, ask her why she cuts herself. Now, those of you who know that that was a thing at one point, it was kind of a fad, If I'm wrong about this, if this isn't the Holy Spirit, I'm going to end up in a lot of trouble. She could very easily accuse me of accusing her and say goodbye to my life, right? Immediately, Chelsea starts saying two things. Why did you ask me that? How do you know about that? Why did you ask me that? How do you know about that? And she starts just tears streaming down her eyes, down her cheeks. Why did you ask me that? I said, Chelsea, are you cutting yourself? Yeah. Now, I didn't see any marks on her arms. She was cutting herself on her thighs, which is where most girls in that case would do that. And I didn't know a lot about that stuff at that time. I said, Chelsea, why are you doing that? She said, Pastor Jeff, my, my home is so, it's just a lot of arguing, a lot of, I said, chaos. She goes, yeah. She said, but I can control the pain. I can control when I hurt. She said, my dad doesn't care about me. 
He brought me here because he wants you to fix me. You heard him say it. My dad doesn't care. He just wants peace in the house. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, ask her how many times she's thrown up after dinner. I said, Chelsea, are you bulimic? What's that mean? How many times have you thrown up after you've eaten? Why would you ask me that? How do you know about that? How do you know this? At this point, I'm crying. It's Chelsea, how many times? She said, I've only done it a few times. I just feel so ugly. I feel so unloved. I feel so unwanted. And it's something I can control. I said, Chelsea, the reason I know is I believe the Holy Spirit speaking to me and prompting me to ask you about these things. I said, I can't fix you, but he can. And so Kevin comes back over and he says, what's going on? And I want, I, again, I wish I could tell you this had a happy ending. He says, what's going on? We were both bawling at this point. And I said, Kevin, I, I, think, I, I think I need to tell you she needs to talk to a professional counselor. And I, I'm not equipped to help her with some of her issues. Well, she's got a counselor at school. I said, yeah, yeah. This might be something you get a referral from a medical doctor about and, and someone who she can really trust and sit down with. Chelsea, you're going to talk to the counselor at school. I said, Kevin, really, the issue in the home, and guys, I wish I knew this scripture the way I know it now back then. I said, Kevin, the issue is Chelsea just doesn't feel very loved or wanted in her home. I think it would really benefit you if you would just meet, lunch, meet with her for lunch, maybe just once a week, just take her out, just you and her, and reconnect and rebuild your relationship with your daughter. And Kevin looks at me and says, I brought her here for you to fix her, not fix me. Yeah. And church, I can tell you so many times as parents, we are exactly like Kevin. We get so caught up in our issues and our kids suffer for it. Back to the scripture, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You notice he doesn't say mothers, he says fathers. Why does he do that? Because dads, Kevin, I wish I could get that guy by the neck these days. They ended up leaving our church not long after. Dads, you are the pastor, you are the priest of your home. And if you don't teach your son how to be a man and teach your daughter how to be loved, they will look for it somewhere else. They will get it from something else. You are the head of your household, dads. That's what Paul said last week. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. As you're the head, your wife is following your lead. If you are building the structure of the home that has Godly, Christ-centered structure. Your wife, if she is a biblical woman, will help you maintain that structure. We must not. Dads, do not do this. Do not hide behind your wives when it comes to your children. Well, mom said no, so I guess we don't get to go to Disneyland this year. Don't do that, okay? Moms, please don't make your husband the only one who has to bring structure to the home. One of the worst things you can do to your husband is make this phrase common in your house. You just wait till your dad gets home. You've made him the villain. You've made him the enforcer. You're saying, I don't have to discipline you. Dad will do it. I don't have to enforce structure. I don't have to do this for you. Dad will do it. Remember that Proverbs principle I mentioned last week. Proverbs 31 says of the woman, her children rise up and bless her. They do this because she has shown honor and blessing to her husband where, where it's due. And men, if we want our wives to be Proverbs 31 women, Proverbs 31 moms, then we need to be Proverbs 1 through 30 dads. Teach our children. Raise them up. Take the lead. Paul isn't saying women are the only ones who can teach their kids, and, and they have nothing to do with that, by the way. He's some have tried to make that case, but really what he's saying is dad oversees it. Dad ensures that it gets done, and he's actively involved in it, that he's also teaching. In fact, in Jewish and Roman culture of this time, 
writers would very much praise fathers who had trained up their sons, who had taken a hand in supervising their instruction and their growth and their, their craft. Education back then was very expensive. And the wealthy, the wealthy could just send all their kids off to be taught by somebody else and be educated and they could be whatever they wanted to be. But the poorer families, the poorer families had to apprentice their kids themselves. In fact, you know, you want to train your child up in the way they should go. It should be not just how you did it, but even better. To do it better than you did. That's your legacy. So when Paul says bring them up, he's, he's kind of pointing back to the idea, you know, he who loves his own wife loves himself. Well, he who raises up and trains up his child looks after his own legacy, looks after his own company. That's kind of the mentality there. In the Roman world in which Paul's writing, and even in many Jewish homes, Fathers typically would rule their their homes with very strict and dominating authority. So Paul says, don't be provoking your children to anger. In fact, one commentator said beatings were just normal for how a parent would raise their kid. That they just would, would beat them almost to death at times. We quickly go overboard with discipline if we're not careful. We like to quote that scripture, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him gently. In other words, how do we commonly say this? Spare the rod and spoil the child. Absolutely. That's provoking your children to anger, by the way. My mom got into some wackier theology when I was in junior high and high school, and she found this company that sold these leather strips about the size of this microphone, and it was called The Rod. And I'll give you one guess as to what that was for and who got it the most. But let's be honest. I mean, if you knew my mom back then, she didn't need that leather strip. She had wire fly swatters, the belt, yardstick, frying pan, anything that was swingable was her weapon of choice. That's not what Proverbs 13.24 is talking about. Not at all. I'm not opposed to spanking, don't get me wrong, but the rod is a shepherd's staff. It's not meant just for beating the sheep. It's also meant to guide, prod, poke, guard, and defend. It's the same word used in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff comfort me. You know what happens if you beat a sheep to death? They die, right? Just like any other animal. And again, like I said, I'm not opposed to spanking, but there has to be a healthy balance in the home or you will kill the spirit of your children. Spanking is not a means to break your kids. It's it's meant to be a guide to let your children know there is a consequence to bad choices. Worse than that, you'll provoke them to anger. It becomes abuse, and they'll, they'll resent you as their father. They'll not respect you. And worse yet, if we are not careful in how we discipline our children, they'll begin to have an unhealthy view of their heavenly father, and they'll begin to resent him because of our actions. So Paul says, instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two words there we have to focus on. Discipline and instruction. Discipline is the Greek word patheia, and it means training. We are making a Christian lifestyle a habit for these kids. Training them, teaching them, practicing it in front of them so that they get the idea, so they see what it is. And then the word for instruction he uses there is nothesia, and it's admonition. It literally comes from a word that means to put them in their place. And we hear that and we say, ah, see, put that kid in his place. No. We can be gentle with our kids and we can be firm with our kids, but there is a vital time where they understand their place in the Lord. Your children are valuable to Him. In fact, your kids matter more to Jesus than they matter to you. He said, let the little children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. As a parent, you are the first and best teacher they will ever, ever, ever have. Make sure they know Christ. Make sure they know what He's done in your life. Show them Jesus. As husbands, make sure they see us loving our wives. Wives, make sure they see you respecting your husband and raise them knowing who Christ is. 
Let that be at the center of many discussions, not just one or two once a week. And you will have a home that's built on honoring the Lord. Children who are raised in an environment of honor will grow up honoring Christ. I'm going to move to close in just a second if the worship team wants to come back up. But if the kids have paid attention, we've got some ice cream waiting on them downstairs if they turn in their notes. And... But at the bottom of the notes, I want you to notice something. And it's been there pretty much all summer when we've done the kids' notes. It says, talk to your parents today about, or talk to your parents about today's message. What questions do you have? Have you talked about Jesus with your family lately? What did you talk about? Ask them their thoughts. Don't wait on your kid to come to you to talk about Jesus. Go to them and ask them, what did you think about today's message? What did you think about the service? What was your favorite part? If they say, you know, verse 4, you can't make me angry anymore. They missed the point too. So just talk about that. Make it a discussion. Don't leave it up to your children to lead in the home. Moms and dads, do that. And answer their questions. I can tell you this, as a dad, you will be shocked at how deep down the theological rabbit holes our children go. And it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, let's go look this up. It's okay to say, let me call Pastor Jeff. And it's okay for Pastor Jeff to say, let me go ask a professor, because I don't know. There are some things we're not going to have all the answers for. That's okay. But it's one of the best things, one of the most rewarding things is when your kid says, you know, I've been thinking about Jesus lately. I've been thinking about our talk. And I want to just, I want to ask your opinion on that. Last week we ended by having the spouses pray for one another. Today I'm going to ask you to stand as we worship, as we close. And you might think that I'm going to ask you to bring your boss next week as we're talking about honor in, in the workplace, but... If you've got kids here with you, go to them. doesn't matter if they're 5 or 50. And if you are a kid, go to your mom and dad. Hold their hand. Parents, pray for your children. You know their needs, the needs you know. Make sure they hear you praying for them. Moms, dads, pray for one another. And make sure your kids hear you praying for one another. Maybe your kids aren't here. You can still pray for them. Grab your spouse's hand or, or, or stand in their place and pray for your children. And kids, pray for mom and dad. You know what they're going through. You know what you hear them talk about. You know their concerns. So don't be afraid to pray for mom and dad. Families gather together. We're going to close as we worship and I'll, I'll do a closing prayer. But let today be a turning point in your home where you say we will be a family of prayer. We will be a household of seeking Christ together. And you watch as your kids begin to blossom into these beautiful young beings that Christ is growing in him. Hosanna, Hosanna.